This is the episode four of the podcast called Venture Roast. It was originally intended as a parody, but really with the design of calling out a lot of the hypocrisy of tech and venture and yeah. kind of airing that for people who don't have access to the black box that is uh, Silicon Valley and just see it in the press. And I wanted to bring in kind of the best people that I know from the industry that I love talking to and catching up with and being able to you know leverage our kind of platform to be able to share their insights to help move everyone forward across a number of issues. And on this week's podcast, we have Ali DiNardo. Ali is a partner at M Venture Partners, and we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about Ali's journey as she came up through the ranks as both a founder and an operator, and her lessons along the way as an emerging leader in Silicon Valley. And with that, Ali, the floor is yours. Hello. Well, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Uh, love this premise of democratizing information in the VC world. A little bit of background on me. Um, I, of course, every VC will tell you this, that I have a very interesting path to VC. Um, I grew up in New York, graduated early from high school in a town of one square mile and two stoplights, was the only person to ever graduate early, had to protest the school board to do so. Um, went to one year of traditional college, decided it wasn't for me because three hours of somebody talking at me for information I can learn in 15 minutes. <laughs> it didn't really seem like a great use of time. Switched to an online program, started working for jobs. And um, my like second quote unquote year of college, I got an internship at a company called CenturyLink, moved to Louisiana, worked in product development and corporate communications, worked on a project um, that ultimately got me a job as an intern, which was amazing. Worked there for a while and then came to San Francisco in a kind of unexpected way. I came to San Francisco to work for Justin Khan, who is the Justin of Justin TV, which turned into Twitch, which sold to Amazon um, for a billion dollars a few years ago. He hired me post-acquisition to be his chief of staff, and I got that job over Snapchat. Um, it was when Snapchat came out. Um, the explore feature was garbage. I looked up like 10 people to follow on Snapchat. He was one of them, followed him for a while. Had never really known about San Francisco or the tech scene or anything like that. So I thought it was really interesting. And then one day they posted that he was looking for a chief of staff. And to this day, I don't remember applying. I don't know what I said. I guess they got my application and liked me. FaceTimed a couple of times, moved to San Francisco, started working for Justin and was his chief of staff for about a year prior to the conception of Atrium, um, which we can talk a little bit more about later on, um, was the first employee at Atrium, um, built out internal operations, hired the first 100 people in the first year, which for lack of a better term was just fucking crazy mm -hmm. in the best way and so much fun. And then fell into the venture world, um, met my two partners now at M Ventures in early 2018, um, came on part-time while I was still working at Atrium, and then made the decision with the second fund to come on full-time as a partner. That was in September 2018. And then since then, um, we have merged with another fund, and that is what Mac Venture Capital is now, the convergence of M Ventures to cross-culture, focusing on early-stage seed and pre-seed companies, writing checks anywhere from 500 to a million and a half into companies that are pushing the world forward and um, making cultural change, which is very important in a lot of different ways. And so now I am a partner at M Ventures um, as well as Mac Venture Capital. Um, I am the founder and CEO of Alden, which is an organizational 
consulting firm for companies, basically um, corporate fixer. So coming in, doing restructures, um, telling you what you're doing wrong or could be doing better, figured that that was a good thing for me to do. And then um, have a couple of projects I'm working on that I can't quite talk about yet, but um, that's where we are today. And now I'm out of breath. It does. That's really exciting. I mean, we could pick apart any one of those verticals to talk about, but um, I think we should probably, we could start with the (laughs) beginning, which, you know, Justin, obviously serial founder, you know, amazing operator, well respected in the Valley. I'm sure you picked up a lot of lessons along the way. That's probably useful for a lot of new founders that are hopefully listening to this. Maybe you can share some of that journey and what you picked up as you started your own companies. Yeah, absolutely. So that's totally true. I've learned so much from Justin and our time together. I think the number one thing that I carry with me and have carried with me every day since um, he was speaking at an event and somebody in Justin's raised hundreds of millions of dollars and started, I think, probably 10 companies at this point. Um, Somebody asked him, what mindset do you have to have going into all of these pitch meetings? Like, what mindset do you have to be successful in? Um, The phrase that he said was, um, you have to walk into these meetings with the attitude of, I'm going to do this with or without you. And I carry with that attitude with me every day of, doesn't matter if it's personal or professional, like, doesn't matter if you want to go to your beach and your significant other doesn't want to go, like, I'm going to do this with or without you, like, do you want to go? I'm going to raise $100 million, like, are you with me? And I think that that attitude has pushed me to both become a stronger individual and a stronger person in the professional world. Um, There's also a resource book called The Courage to be Disliked, which is on this exact thesis of basically unsubscribing from external validation and like other people's bullshit, not letting other people affect your path and keeping a strong study forward um, or excuse me, a strong step forward. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are young and trying to find their place in the tech community that could benefit from that advice. One thing that you may or may not know about Allie, if you've never met her before, is that Allie has one of the most inspirational Instagrams. It's a 50-50 split between calling people out on their shit and inspirational quotes on how to like not get beat down. And, you know, something that's often not talked about in Silicon Valley is how starting a company and also being in venture because of how lonely the job is, is very isolating. And as a result of that, I always find myself really <laughs> feeling better after I go through Ali's Instagram. So, <laughs> Well, thank you. That means a lot to me. And basically, I just post the things that resonate with me. And I think it's, I think you summed it up well. It's a mix of VC memes, quotes about meditation and mindfulness, and then separately like calling people out on their shit, which is, I think, the three core pillars of my personality. (laughs) And I'm glad that I can can serve others with that. You know, it kind of touches on something which is like, you know, and this is a thread that we don't have to go down. But, you know, as a woman in venture, you know, I feel like all of those, all three of those things really have enabled you to like, rise to be one of the few women partners in venture, which is that you don't let people bully you you are very grounded and you recognize how hypocritical the industry is. And that Venn diagram also enables you to navigate the bullshit that is Silicon Valley effectively. If you're open to commenting on that and I'd love to hear your thoughts there. Sure. I, I think per your inspiration, if you're okay with it, we can collaborate on a diagram for Instagram. Please. uh, And get that out there. I, strongly agree 
Um, and I think those, the, the distillation of the pillars that you just mentioned are very much what I feel regularly. And I think for me, the overarching theme there is self-protection and standing on your own two feet and not letting other people affect your path or affect who you are. And a lot of times that can come in the form of calling someone out if they're like trying to put, I always kind of, I can go into kind of a crunchy bubble or crunchy metaphor, but I always talk about kind of a bubble of like, if you yourself are a bubble and somebody is trying to like blame something on you or put something in your direction, that's not your job. You like have to see it before you let it into your psychosis and into your psychology and into your life that could like affect you negatively or push you backwards instead of forwards and not let that happen. And I think for me, being a woman inventor, that happens a lot of people will either say things off the cuff and you have to correct them. And it sucks to be the person that has to be like, you know, that's not an okay thing to say, but then the, they're aware of their behavior and people often aren't aware of their behavior. And I am going down a very different tangent with this, but I've had a lot of caffeine and we're just going to go, <laughs> go this way. That's fine. I'm fine um, with that. Yeah. And I think like I, something both personally and professionally, I care a lot about people's psychology and like why people do things, both why people start companies, why people say certain things. And I will d- dive in on that and have more than once in maybe the past weekend in my career corrected um, a variety of people saying like, why are you, why did you use a certain term? Why did you refer to me that way? Or why did you ask me to schedule this thing? And I'm like, that happens and stuff like that happens all the time. And once you find your footing, which we can talk more about like how to get to having a solid footing, I think it's easier I am, I'm a partner at two venture capital firms. I am a founder of multiple companies. I hired a hundred people in a year of raised a hundred million dollars or was a part of a team that raised a hundred million dollars. And once you like recognize the strengths that you have in yourself, you can turn around and be like, well, this is not my job. This is not my responsibility or this is not my job to teach you how to be an adult. Does that make sense? It does. And you know, it's in a, Silicon Valley that is trying to improve, but still has a long way to go. Oftentimes people are afraid of the process of finding their footing and feel at risk of, uh, of the consequences of trying to find their footing. And so for somebody who's done that and feels really comfortable in their own skin as a leader in Silicon Valley, who also happens to be a woman, what advice do you give what advice do you have to share with people who are, you know, trying to find their own voice as they go through this process? Yeah, I think an exercise that I recommend quite a bit is making a T-chart, like go outside, take a piece of paper with you, leave your phone inside and like be in your own headspace and make a T-chart on one side, write things that you do on the other side, write things that you don't do and figure out what those things are. Like, for example, both personally and professionally, like I meditate twice a day and I don't schedule over my meditations. And so the time protection on both sides of like, this is something that I do. This is something somebody who I am and protecting on the other side of that. And so something that I do is stand up for myself and something that I don't do is let other people minimize me. And so that's like a core strength for me 
And I think that's how I kind of found my footing of building my ground to stand on is learning and knowing the things that I do and don't do and learning and knowing the things that I'm good at and the things that I like doing and the things that I don't like doing. And an exercise that I'm just going to shamelessly plug in because I think he's the best person ever. Nick Cortez, who was one of the co-founders of Atrium, um, head of operations. He also worked with Justin, with myself prior to Atrium, who's now, I think he's head of, you think you would really like him, the head of business intelligence at Freedom Robotics. Oh, cool. Um, when I we worked together. Like what? I said I would probably like him. You would like him. Yeah, let me you yeah. look him up and I can introduce I you. Will. I think you'd really like him. Um, he, I don't know where he learned it, but he gave me this exercise of write down all the things that you do in your job. Just write it down. Same, like go sit outside, take a piece of paper, write down all the things that you do. Um, doesn't matter if it's going to the printer. doesn't matter if it's making strategy plans, like big things, small things, write them all down. And then after they're all there, stack rank them in order of like things that you would absolutely love to do every day and things that you fucking hate and never want to do again. And it's really reflective of the things that you like doing, things that you would like to do more of. And then you can figure out how to automate the things that you don't want to do the things that aren't bringing you joy or all of that sort of thing. Personally, I do this in Airtable, which I will also shamelessly plug until the day that I die. (laughs) Yeah. On Airtable. Um, And I have a template I'm happy to share. And please we'll share it in the link for the recording of the podcast. I use Airtable religiously also. I have like a hundred dollars of referrals to Airtable because I just keep adding people into my table templates. I think I know somebody in their marketing. Maybe we can get you like a spot. That'd be amazing. And also I can share with you my fundraising template, which I use for, you know, all kinds of stuff, fundraising for funds and fundraising for, for my startup. Yeah. So that's helpful. Love your table. Yeah. Anyway, make a list of the things that you do, like, and then rank them in order of love versus hate, never want to do again. And I think that's a good exercise of figuring out what you're good at. And then that pushes you forward further, like, building your backbone and strength of who you are and then defending around that. Hopefully that all makes sense. It does. I mean, like, you know, another thing that I found in my mentorship roles of both diverse founders and, and female founders is that the worry is that, you know, they kind of run into that kind of trope of um, being perceived as bossy or, you know, any of the numerous uh, negative adjectives that get used for people that stand up for themselves when they're in, yep. when they're inherently, you know, not in a position of strength. Um, how do you walk that fine line? I know as a white straight dude in Silicon Valley, this is not a problem I face. So um, I don't, yeah. I, I've never come across that. So I don't know how to yeah. manage it. For sure. Well, thank you for identifying that. I appreciate that. If someone says you're too much, they're not enough. Absolutely. If someone says you're bossy, they're insecure, like 10 out of 10 and, or you're threatening your power. And so they're just trying to throw darts at you to make themselves feel better. And it's not okay for other, and we can have a whole separate conversation about people minimizing. It's not okay for other people to minimize you for standing up for yourself and doing your job. And so for me, I am in the position of having the mental mindset to be able to do that of like taking a moment, taking a breath and saying, not letting people into your bubble and like recognizing that's what's happening and then flipping it around and be like, are you calling me bossy because I'm threatening your power and you're not happy about it? Or like, why, like, why are you saying that to me? And 
understanding what is behind that. And a lot of the times it's insecurity from my perspective. That's a lot of, a lot of wisdom there. The, um, that's a lot of wisdom there, Allie. That's pretty, pretty awesome. You know, I found that just personally, you know, my personality is kind of binary. Like you don't meet many people that are just like, Nate's okay. They're either like yes or no. They're in the yes or no camp. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm in the, yes, I'm here. I'm here for you for the Nate. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And, um, you know, a, a part of it is just because I have very little tolerance for, uh, yeah for a lot of the bullshit. And so, um, and so I, you know, a lot of what you said resonates with that, where it's just, you end up, you may end up necessarily with like a smaller network, but you cut out all the bad people early and you like didn't have any patience or time for them. So, um, and like creating really tight filters for who you let in and, and who you cut out and why, and building those filters for yourself lets you kind of, you know, keep your elbows, elbows high. So you never have to run into, you have to run into these issues less. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, well, th- thank you for sharing all that. I mean, that's, yeah. that's huge. Um, so switching gears a bit here, you're not calling from SF. We both escaped. Where, where are you in the world? Sure. So I moved to San Francisco in 2016, uh, was there for three and a half years, I think, and loved it, loved every part of it. When quarantine hit, um, we had just been traveling. So we had gone to Paris for a couple of weeks and then was in Mexico city and came back to SF right when like the shelter in place hit. So I think it was March 1st and my partner and I lived in a space where we didn't have any outside space and it was an apartment. And so we were locked basically in a cave uh, with a very little amount of sunshine for two months. And it was fucking terrible. Uh, both like mentally, socially, not great. My significant other is a big boulder and rock climber. And so we, and I grew up in the woods for lack of a better phrase and running around in a field. And so we both really value outside space and our lease was up in June. And so May 1st, we actually, prior to the lease being up, we went out to Utah and lived in a, in a double wide, basically in a field for $39 a night. Wow. And it's the, like the best I've ever lived of being in the mountains and laying in the grass every day. And that's something that I really value. So when our lease was up, we decided to put all of our shit in storage and wander around for the foreseeable future. And so now we are, I'm looking out the window at the river in uh, Estes Park in Colorado. And so we are mountain people now, I guess, for the foreseeable future. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, I was splitting between SF and New York for almost yeah. two years and by, by, uh, purely coincidence, I got rid of both places in February before all this stuff happened. And so I went from having like two very expensive rents to having no rents. Nice. And, um, it's one of those things where I'm just grateful for it every day. And, you know, I guess it kind of leads down a path to like, what is the future of San Francisco since San Francisco has now become fully virtual? Um, yeah. how are you guys getting deals done? Now that, you know, everything, now that nobody's, you know, face to face and how do you build that trust with founders um, now that you can't shake their hands and look them in the eye? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can always look people in the eye over Zoom, but like we're all kind of fatigued with that. Totally. (laughs) Of course, we'll always Zoom with our founders. And I think, I think as far as the venture capital raising scene goes, for me, this is how I feel um, as well as building relationships in a remote way. 
I think that you really have to dig in on transparency and dig in on why people are doing things as well as digging in on the psychology um, piece that we had mentioned of a lot of the times for me, at least when you meet somebody in person, you learn a lot about them. Like, where do they sit? What are their mannerisms? How do they speak? How do they like right now? I'm like talking with my hands like crazy. Like, what are they like in person and how do they treat people? And I think we're having to mitigate that, not mitigate, but um, learn those things about our founders in a very different way of like diving in in psychology of like, how often do you have one-on-ones with your team? How often, like, how do you uh, give bad news and asking those questions and demanding transparency? And for me, I build trust through transparency of I want people to be dead honest with me all the time. And if you don't like, if you're not honest with me, I can't be there for you. If I don't know that, um, or post-investment with portfolio companies, for example, if I don't know that something or shit's hitting the fan, I can't help you. Or if I don't know that you need help with your recruiting pipeline, I can't help you. And that's why you bring investors to the table with different skill sets that know things that are different from you. So that when something like that happens or when a global pandemic hits, you can call the people that are there for you that are in your back pocket to be like, hey, we don't have, or we're going to um, push off hiring ahead of people until the end of the year. Like, are you willing to help us step in and build out our recruiting pipeline? And the answer is absolutely yes, because that's why we invested is to be there for you. And so I think I had written this down ahead of time, but the ethos of this is building trust through transparency. And especially in a remote world, I think that's very important of you're not able to go to somebody's office once a week and like have lunch with them. So you have to like WhatsApp them or be like, Hey, how are, how are you feeling? And getting a real pulse on that and being able to be there when people ask for it, I think is important too in whatever that might mean of like, <laughs> I have, I built trust through transparency with a lot of our founders. One of our founders, like I know her favorite thing. And we've talked about this with your fluffy dog. Like <laughs> she loves dogs. And I have very specific, I mean, of course we help her with our company and stuff too, but I know as a human being, I need to be there for her, A, to remind her to eat lunch because (laughs) she doesn't, and B, like, I usually know when she's having an off day, and so I'll, like, send her a picture of an Iggy, or if you're familiar with, like, the Iggy dogs. I'm not. You you look up a picture, they're really funny, and it makes a better day, and so you can be there for people both on the founding side, on the venture capital side, and also on the human side in a lot of different ways by asking transparent questions of like, okay, when you're having a bad day, what do you want me to do for you? How can I best be there for you? And sometimes it's reminding me to eat lunch. Sometimes it's building out a recruiting structure and anywhere in between. You got to give a shit about people. It's like, it's my job to be in my personal life and my professional life is to be everyone's number one fan. And that can take many forms of dog pictures, recruiting structures, or like reminding people to eat lunch. And that's something that I carry with me. I should get it like a locket and carry it over my heart. I think that that's like a really important message, especially, you know, as at the venture level where, you know, being a founder is already isolating. And now in a pandemic, it's, it's gotta be the most isolating job in the world right now. And um, just no, with no support and no, no, basically no physical contact for lack of a better expression. Yeah. And so the fact that you, you know, see that as your role um, is I'm sure all your founders are grateful for that 
I'm, yeah, yeah, that's huge. Thank you. The, um, that's really, really huge. I need to find out what this dog looks like. Yeah. I mean, for Ali's comment, we have a 140 pound Bernie's mountain dog. So that's the fluffiness of the Bernie's mountain dog has been, has been my, my saving grace. Floof. Yeah. yeah. Good floof. She's a good floof. Yeah. Um, and Iggy is basically like, it's a teeny greyhound mm. that they're really cold. So they like to wear clothes. Mm. And so a lot of the, I think Tika, the Iggy, is the founder who I refer to as favorite Iggy because she has all these crazy outfits and stuff. Would would recommend Tika the Iggy. Not sponsored. <laughs> on Instagram. This is an Instagram. This is an Instagram. Yeah, on Instagram. I've probably gotten everything. I, she also has a TikTok. <laughs> she, the dog has a TikTok or the founder has a TikTok? The dog has a TikTok. I mean, the founder has a TikTok too, but the dog has a TikTok. Oh, the dog and has a TikTok. Okay. Yeah. So while you're there, you can follow both Allie on, on Instagram and Tika the Iggy. The um, By the way, a, a rabbit hole that we started to go down, but we never finished um, because I jumped to like how we both escaped SF was, yeah. you know, we talked about, you know, standing up for yourself, but, yeah. um, and that's kind of like the introspective, but, um, you know, looking outward, how does venture do a better job? How does tech do a better job? Do you have any thoughts there? That's a big question. Yeah, general, from your um, perspective and where you're sitting, like either from a diverse founder perspective or from a diverse venture perspective, helping women is either founders or in tech or in venture. You can take that any which way. Yeah. Okay. No pressure. Awesome. Yeah. Because hmm. everyone kind of thinks about it from their own purview, right? So. Yeah. To zoom out, I think that human beings are terrible communicators. I think... There's a, I shared this quote with you ahead of time, and I'm happy to yell it from the rafters of from the courage to be disliked books that I had mentioned previously. There's this quote, and it's all problems are interpersonal relationship problems. That's an Alfred Adler quote, who's a psychologist. And it's so true because all pain comes from interpersonal relationships. And looking at that in what we had just talked about with building trust through transparency very few people know how to communicate directly. Very few people know how to be like, how to ask for help. Especially, that's something I wish that founders would do more of. And I've had this conversation with many, many founders of, they were afraid to come to me because they didn't want like me to think that they didn't have their shit together. When really, that's the opposite incentive of like, I want founders to come to me when they need help. And I want you to come to me and say, honestly, like, Allie, I'm struggling. Like, how can you help me? Or like, I just throwing it all out there. And I think one of my best skill sets is to get people out of their own head by asking questions. And so I think that people are terrible communicators. All pain comes from interpersonal relationships or interpersonal communication. And that humans are garbage at communicating, whether it be with your significant other, whether it be with your co-founder, whether it be with your venture partners or whether it be with your employees. And that's where I have found my strength to start what is now all then um, by I figured out that I am a reasonable communicator and I can ask questions and I can speak transparently with people and communicate messages in a transparent way that there's no confusion um, and structure communication in a way that is healthy um, for both personally, organization wise, etc. And I if I could flip the switch and everyone would be great communicators, that would be the switch that I would flip of having people speak honestly and transparently, um, especially with founder and investors. And I think this is something 
that is done poorly right now of I'm a super, we talked about Airtable. Like I literally Airtable is the inside of my brain. Like I have things <laughs> categorically, I have things color coded, I have things stack ranked, I have things filtered by certain fields. And I'm a very prepared person. I like to have all the information ahead of time and protect my own time. Because for me, my time is my life. And if other people waste my time, other people are wasting my life. And that's something that you never get back. That's a and thank you. And so when you had mentioned that, like, you had a call the other day that went over by quite a bit, I'm like, that's an hour of your life that you're never going to get back that, like, may or may not have been necessary. And, I mean, of course, there's ways to mitigate that and structure that. But um, I think going back to founders and investors, like, just fucking be prepared. Like, be prepared. Know when you're – so if you're an investor or, excuse me, you're a founder and you have a pitch call set up with – an investor and for you can use me for example like if we have a call set up do your research ask the questions ahead of time part of scheduling like what are your check sizes what stages do you invest in what do you not invest in how do you add value to your companies and like how do you how can you bring value to me in building this business you can ask those questions ahead of time when especially on the opposite side of not especially but on the opposite side of like if I'm going into a pitch call and I don't know anything about the company and I don't know how much they're raising and I don't know like what sector they're in, like that could be a huge waste, not a waste of time, but it could be a waste of time because for example, like at Mac, we invest early stage, generally early stage seed and pre-seed 500 to a million and a half. And if it's a series B in like a company that's developing a vaccine or something, that's generally out of our scope. And that could be great if it's a company that like you referred to me that you asked me to like help them find investors, but it could not be a fit for both me as an investor in Mac, me as an angel investor, like I'm, that's something I'm probably not going to do. And so that 30 minutes that's been scheduled could be five minutes of being like, Hey, I know Nate referred you to me. Like, I just want to be transparent with you. This is not a fit for what I generally invest in, but I'm happy to help you in finding other investors here, five people that I know and love that could be a fit for you. The person I know who did this best was my old boss, Catherine Barr. So yeah. as we know, I was supporting uh, four GPs and one operating partner um, at my old fund. And, yeah. and she was masterful at protecting her time and doing the upfront diligence on companies. And her logic was basically like, there are a million great companies that raise money every year. But within that, you know, there are so few that are in your target demo that if you were to meet all the other 99.9% of them, you would just waste so many cycles, you'd lose your mind. And so it was really just like being good at recognizing patterns started with being good at protecting your time. Mm -hmm. And so like the job of venture, one of the things that it comes down to is pattern matching. And so her, her mechanism to do that was also to spend time protecting her time to make sure that she could better pattern match. And that was a that was a strong lesson from there that I took when thinking about yeah. thinking about that. The um, yeah. So so yes, that's founder. That's on the founder side. Um, and I appreciate your 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 thoughts there. It's so true. Like just yeah. take some extra time. And then how does venture as an industry level up as a whole? How do you thoughts on that? Anything that venture can do is a, you know historically a, an industry where um, venture the capitalists on the whole you know value perceive companies to be kind of servants to them. Yeah. 
you know, as, as you know, uh, kind of a caveat to that is that the really best venture capitalists know that their role is to be a servant to the company, but there are many, many venture capitalists who view this as a lifestyle business who perceive companies to be a servant to them. And so how do we level up the industry from that perspective? Yeah, I think, I mean, you and I have talked about this at nauseum. I see that all the time, especially being a young person in venture, which is a very traditional um, white man's game, old white man's game, for lack of a better phrase, if we're just shooting straight today. Generally, the way that I think about this is there are a couple of different schools of venture. There is like venture 1.0, venture 2.0, and venture 3.0 is where we are now. Of the people like me who are, I'm 24, and I had built companies. I never worked at Goldman. I fell into the venture world after working at a very large company and knowing how to operate. Um, I think the rise of operator funds is nothing new. There are a lot of great people that I know that are either raising now or have just raised for what is now the new wave of venture from my perspective. And I think the identifiers of the new wave of venture are kind of what we had talked about before of being everyone's number one fan and like, frankly, giving a shit about people, both as a founder and as a human being of like, we're in a global pandemic, <laughs> we're in a global pandemic. There's lots of things happening. And it's fucking exhausting. And both for me and for everyone else on this planet right now. And I need to be there for my founders. And because they're, they're my humans, basically, is how I look at it. Of like, to, okay, so to loop this back, I got, I got like a little worked up there. To loop this back, I think the identifiers of the new wave of venture are like a giving a shit about people both as humans and as founders and as leaders and helping them develop across the board. I think another, like another identifier would be being transparent and honest, being okay with saying, Hey, this is not a fit, but like, I'm happy to help you be successful in however I can in a very genuine way (laughs) rather than, the prototypical like how can amy help oh, well like that doesn't like that doesn't mean anything it means literally um, nothing. Yeah. it means literally nothing it, it has as many calories as celery exactly if you're listening to this podcast you know exactly what i'm talking about so actually being authentic when you open yourself up to be there for people and offering to be a resource and i think i think approachability is also another thing and also brand play mm. of there's smart many and there's dumb many. And I think someone that does this really well, who just published her latest iteration of her website is Brienne Kimmel, of Work Life BC. Brienne is an amazing person and she's a solo GP um, of Work Life. She built an amazing brand around Work Life, what they stand for, what they do. And I think that she has done it well and I aspire to be like that, of both the brand building and parallel with the approachability of this is what, and wearing it on your sleeve. This is what we do. This is what we don't do. Are you with us or not? Um, sort of attitude uh, and carrying that with empathy, if that makes sense. This is the second vote across four pa- podcasts, by the way, for to fix venture, people need to, new the new voices need to raise their own funds. We've yep. had one voice, for, we've had one vote for Hire and Wire, and we've had two votes so far for for Raise Your Own Fund. Isn't that interesting yeah. from the three venture capitalists that have been on? Yeah. Is there another way to, to fix the problem from within or is it really just support people who will have their own platform? I think 
that the new uprising of what is what it means to be a human being is really interesting with the world that we live in now. And I think the new way of being a venture capitalist is starting from scratch. Asking why things are done a certain way and then breaking them down, keeping the things that are working and getting rid of all the other shit that nobody needs of the inauthenticity of the bullshit obligatory phone calls that is a waste of time for everybody of the dumb money perspective like i think the new wave of venture and the new up i want to call it an uprising because i think that's what it is of venture is questioning very rigorously the status quo of like why are things done a certain way things can be done a lot differently and we're going to do it differently and taking steps forward to do that, whether that might be raising your own fund, whether that might be um, if you're not in that position yet. I was having an awesome conversation last night. Um, there's a female consortium as a part of the assembly, which is a women's social club co-working space in San Francisco um, called the council. So it's a consortium of female angel investors and something that we were talking about last night is how to democratize both information because the whole premise of this podcast is because VC is a black box, um, democratize information on the angel investing side, on the cap table side, and how do we diversify cap tables and democratize that? I think a way to do that too, um, this is very kind of off track, but is to bring on people as advisors that might not be ready to make investments or hire people as intern. Like I have an intern right now who I swear to God is going to take over this fucking planet. Like I have no doubt in my mind going to take over this planet. She works for like National Geographic, CNN. She's on the payroll of like 17 different organizations and she's a sophomore at Harvard. And so I think, sorry, I've had a lot. I'm, uh, no, I'm not sorry. I've had a lot of caffeine today. So I'm You're doing great. <laughs> Thank you for that vote of confidence. To distill what I just talked about, I think that from where I'm standing right now, need, if I'm looking to the people that were before me, need to ask why they did the things that they did and keep the things that work well and that serve you, get rid of the things that are irrelevant and worthless, and then looking to the future of who is coming up behind us, we need to extend our hand, enable the people that we believe in whether it be a future investor, whether it be my intern for Alden, who I think is going to take over the planet, um, whether it be someone that is really good in their field that just needs to be believed in. And so I think it's looking, why are we here? What's working? And then looking to the future of like, what, what do we need to build? Who do we need to be tomorrow? Like something, this is a, I think you'll appreciate this reference of there's, Okay, so we there's this band called My Chemical Romance. Sure. That when I was take me to the Black Parade, when all of us were when all of us were goths in the you know early two thousands. Yeah, when all of us were goths in the early two thousands. Better time. Um, Yeah, uh, the uh, White Stripes were still together. They were happier times back then. The White Stripes. All right, Pete. Anyway, so My Chemical Romance has a song called "Sing," and I don't know what part of that song like struck a chord. But my, one of my favorite lyrics of all time in like sentiments is be what tomorrow needs. And I think with this new world that's being created, 
we need to think about what tomorrow needs, what 10 years from now needs, what our children are going to need. And it looks very different than from what the previous generation of both probably human beings and like the venture scene and the founder scene has predicted. That brings up a very interesting point, which is something that's come up multiple times now, which is venture is not designed to actually invest in those problems because of the fundraising cycle required by emerging firms. So, you know, an an emerging manager that only has $20 million needs to raise a new fund every two to three years, needs to demonstrate results to even have the chance of raising a third fund. And so then really can't invest in those really deeply systemic problems that need to get resolved. How do you think about that? Yeah, I think, I think to quote, quote, 90s Ross, everyone needs to pivot. And I think that we very quickly, the beginning of this year, end of last year, we were like, yeah, like future work is cool. And like remote work is cool. Like everything is like, great, we'll see it in 10 years. And then overnight, the world was remote. And I think we're seeing those a lot of like systemic changes now in a variety of ways of thinking about things. If this is a little bit off of the question that you would ask. Um, But thinking about things differently, both in the things that we invest in, how it serves the world, and in the people that we are, in the kind of the fundraising vein of raising new funds every couple of years. I don't know. I really honestly don't know how that's going to change. I haven't thought very much about that, but I will after being poised this question. I think that a systematic change that is going to happen and that is happening is being aligned with investors, both on the LP side and on the companies that you invest inside and with your founders on values and asking them, especially in the early stages of when they might not have company values in place, like, what do you stand for? What do you give a shit about? Like, who are you? Are you a good person? And I think we've learned from the whole um, sovereign fund stuffing thing of like who you take money from is important and I think that's something that the uprising of venture is thinking more carefully about of like who are we taking money from who are our LPs what did they stand for what do we stand for and who are we investing in when like how does all of those things align as far as values making the world a better place making systematic change in a variety of ways and pushing the world forward and investing in things that make a difference and make the world better and not make the world like 2% more productive. I, as you know, my venture thesis was not investing that in problems that make one percenters life 1% better. So the, um, and just let the record show that thought about, you know, starting with the LPs and making sure that there's alignment of capital. uh, That is the third of third vote on, you know, having the flow of dollars be the, guiding force to inflict systemic change. It took a pandemic and somebody being murdered on video to create a lot of these systemic changes that we hopefully see in the future that are for the better. And Susan Fowler for the Me Too uh, movement. Yeah. Um, a lot of times these you know inflection points are, are these terrible negative events. And the one thing that I seem to be true, which is what you just said, is that the alignment of capital ends up being the number one non-binary inflection point when you think about uh, George Floyd or 
the pandemic, yeah. those are binary inflection points. But the flow of dollars is something that's long term, and it can it can force it can force change more consistently over time, which is something that you highlighted by you know having alignment of capital over the long term. So yeah. totally there there. So I know that we've come up on our hour. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to cover while while I have you? Otherwise, this has been fantastic. There's some really cool, really amazing stuff we covered. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I think that I spoke to a lot of the pillars of who I am as a human being, which was really fun for me. And I think a lot of the material that we had wanted to cover, we did in multiple different ways, like organizational pain or like co-founder conflict is distilled down to communication and misalignment of values. And so all of those things are relevant and can be applied in basically any scenario of like, if you're having a falling out with a co-founder, like get a fucking arbitrator (laughs) and someone that is trained to like get information out of your head and get realignment rather than going building in wrong direction or misaligned values for two years or like something like that. And if I can just like ask people, please just shoot straight always. The opportunity cost of being vague is very high and the opportunity cost of being nervous is very high. And so ask for the things that you want, ask for help without ego, believe that people are there for you and that your investors are there for you and just believe in people and ask people how they're feeling and remind people to eat lunch because care and like quote unquote value can come in a lot of different ways. And I think if we're transparent and if we're have concise and straightforward communication with people, we can make this world a better place and build a new normal leaps and bounds better than where we were. Your comment touches on like a lot of things that like would have to change in venture that like systemically where like founders didn't have to play VCs off each other because of the FOMO, um, where people could be honest about like why they're trying to build what they're building for the future. Yeah. That they could be aligned around timing. You know, there's so many things that have to change in venture. And, um, when you start about, when you start from what you said, which is so poignant, which is that to build this new ways of a new wave of venture, you have to start from zero. I, I think that's just dead on and where you can, I think it's just dead on because then you can really build that new normal. And without that, you know, we're still going to be stuck in, yeah. in 2.0. Yeah. I mean, I think it's still important to like look to what was and take the pieces that were working, regardless of if it's big or small. I think a lot of it is going to be new information, but we still need to look backwards and learn from what was done before in order to build in like, um, whatever. Oh, oh, Pattern matching exists for a reason. Yeah, pattern matching exists for a reason. Um, One of my founders, Morgan Mercer, who's the founder of Vantage Point, her beautiful quote is that she reads the rules before she breaks them, which I think is very relevant to where we are right now. And so, um, you know, I think that you're, you know, the walking example of that for sure when I think about venture and people that are, you know, emerging rock stars in the space. So um, really thank you for taking the time to, to, you know, have this conversation with me. Um, you know, I always love talking to you. I feel just yeah. every time we talk, I feel uplifted. So thank you for coming thank on you. the podcast. Of course. Thanks for having me. I also feel very energized to like tear down what exists and build a new world now. And I think I'm going to go start a new air table to figure out how to do that. So yeah. Fuck the patriarchy. Enabling- <laughs> <laughs> cool.
Cool. And with that, I think we're going to sign off on the podcast today. Thank you so much again, Allie. You rock. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was amazing. This podcast was recorded on June 23rd.